When I was growing up as a teenager, especially in the fall and in the wintertime, one of my favorite things to do was to get together with my friends on a Friday or Saturday night and just play basketball all night long. We'd play till 9 or 10 o'clock. The reason we were able to do this was because my best friend, his older brother, worked for the school district, and he had keys to all the gyms. And so uh, Friday and Saturday night, man, we were in the gym, 9, 10 o'clock at night. One particular Friday night, we were playing basketball. It was probably 10 o'clock, and we were finishing up, and we were packing all our gear up. And one of my friends came up with this great idea. He said, you know what we ought to do tomorrow? Get up real early Saturday morning, hunt all day long. Get out in the woods early, stay out in the woods all day long, hunt all day, and then come in, go get some lunch or early dinner, and then come back and play basketball all night long again. It's exhausting right now even thinking about that as an old man, but when I was a teenager, man, that was like the perfect day. There would be nothing but hunt all day, eat basketball all night. So that was the plan for our Saturday. So I got home that Friday night, and came in the back door of the house, went into the kitchen, opened up the pantry door, took out a bag of Doritos, family-sized bag of Doritos. I was going to take that bag of Doritos downstairs into the family room and watch TV. And as I walked through the dining room and I turned the corner to go down the stairs, my mother called out to me, Jay, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, Mom. What's up? She was sitting there in the living room and she said to me, I've got something I need you to do for me tomorrow. I could feel the anxiety <laughs> deep down inside start to build inside. I just knew she was going to tell me to do something that would really impact my very important, very critical plans for the next day. She asked me if I remembered Ronnie. Ronnie was a guy she worked with in, a, in the same state park, worked with, uh, worked with him for years and years. I said, of course I remember Ronnie, and I know his wife, May, as well. My mother said, Ronnie hurt his back in his shoulder a month or so ago, and he's missed a lot of work. And also, because of his back and his shoulder problems, he's fallen behind on some of the work around the house. So my mother said to me, I want you to go over to Ronnie and May's house tomorrow, and I want you to split a truckload of firewood that's been delivered to their house. Ronnie wasn't able to do it because of his back and because he'd missed so much work, he didn't have the money to fill his oil tank as well. So my mother said to me, you know, <laughs> my mother, you know, you're so good at splitting firewood. You have such good experience in it and you're so wonderful about doing it. I thought that that would be something nice that we could do for him. We? You coming with me tomorrow morning to split firewood, Mom? I'm kind of holding it all in at this point. I'm I'm not very excited about doing this. My plans for hunting, feeding my face, and playing basketball were slipping away from me. But then there was another little voice in my head, and I wish I could tell you it was a good voice, an altruistic voice. But this other voice in my head said, you know, splitting a load of firewood, that's a great way to make some extra money. That when I go to eat lunch tomorrow, I'll have a few more bucks in my pocket before we play basketball. That would be great. So I turned to go down the stairs, and I was walking down the stairs. My mother called out to me one last time, Jay, one more thing. If they offer you any money tomorrow for splitting this wood, please don't take it. <laughs> well, that's just spectacular. First, I have to delay meeting my friends to go hunting. I won't be able to see them. I won't get paid for it. This is just great. 
So I went downstairs to the basement where the TV was down where my father's wood stove was. Now this wood stove, and Carol can attest to this, this wood stove burns 24 hours a day, seven days a week, puts out 10,000 BTU every 30 seconds. My parents' house is at 95 degrees all winter long. So I went down, I sat down on the couch, I turned on the television. I was so angry right at that moment. I was so angry, I mean, I could barely eat that whole bag of Doritos. And I, because my day had just gone, it got away from me, right? My plans had been preempted by what my mother wanted me to do. But then I got to thinking, you know what? If I get up really, really, really early, get over there, split the firewood, I could still catch up with my friends. I knew where they were going to go hunting. I knew the farm where we were going to go. I thought, hey, I'll get this one, two, three hours tops to, to split a load of, of a pickup truck load of, of, of wood, and I'll catch up with my friends. So that's exactly what I did. I got all my basketball gear together, put it in the car. Got all my hunting gear together, put it in the car. Set my alarm for 5.30 in the morning. I got to Ronnie and May's house around 6.15. And then I drove up the driveway to their house, and I saw the most disheartening sight that I'd ever seen. It was like a gut punch. You see, when my mother told me that a truck of load of firewood had been delivered, she left out one very important word. She left out the word dump. She said a truckload of wood had been delivered when she should have said that a dump truck load of wood had been delivered to Ronnie and May's house. <laughs> mother! <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe my eyes. I was sick to my stomach. I was so angry. I was upset because now I knew my entire day was shot. There was no way that hunting was even in the picture. I wasn't going to meet my friends for lunch now. Maybe basketball, I don't know. Not with this much wood. Got out of my car. Got my splitting maul and my wedges out of the trunk. And I walked up the sidewalk to the porch. And there, coming out of the doorway of the house, was May. And she had a coat on and a, her hat on and her gloves on. I thought, okay, well, May's going to stack the wood while I split it. Maybe she's going to try to help me a little bit. She motioned for me to come in the house. She said, hey, Jay, come on in. Ronnie wants to talk to you before you get started. And as I got inside the house, I realized that May was not going to be helping me uh, because she was wearing her coat and her hat. The reason she was wearing her coat and her hat was because the temperature inside their house was about the same as the temperature outside. They were, out, they were without any appreciable heat. She invited me to come into the kitchen and she pulled aside the blanket that they had hung over the doorway to keep the cooking heat inside the kitchen because the kitchen was their warm room. She asked me to sit down and have breakfast with her and Ronnie. It was about that time Ronnie came in through the other entrance to the kitchen, hat on, sweater on, his arm all bandaged and back brace on. Boy, Jay, am I glad to see you. May said, hey, Jay, how do you want your eggs? You want them scrambled over easy? You want bacon with your eggs? What a schmuck I am. <laughs> I'd lost my appetite. I was pretty disgusted with myself that time, and I was internally embarrassed for how childish and how selfish my thinking was. I was more concerned with my leisure plans than I was for these two people who were struggling to keep warm, two people who were barely getting by, two people who needed help to people who didn't even have the very things that I took for granted. And I took them for granted because my father had provided them for me. I had a warm house to sleep in the night before. 
a very warm house, but I had a warm house to sleep and I had a couch to rest on, I had Doritos to eat, all that provided by my father. I took that for granted. I spent my entire day at their house splitting firewood and stacking it. About an hour into me stacking wood, May came out and she picked up some of the smaller pieces of wood and took them back in the house. A few minutes later, smoke began to rise out of their chimney. At lunchtime, she came out and said, come on in, Ronnie and I are sitting down to lunch. We have vegetable soup. I hate vegetable soup. I really hate vegetable soup. But that day, I ate every bit of it. I didn't leave their house till sometime after six, finishing up my work under a big spotlight that they had on their back, uh, in the backyard there. After I was done, I obviously didn't change into my hunting gear. I didn't change into my basketball gear. I simply drove home. Came in the back door of the house. I threw my gear down there in the dining room. I opened up the pantry door in the kitchen looking for some Doritos, but some gluttonous pig had already eaten them the night before. So I found some animal crackers or pretzels or something, and I went to head downstairs again to watch some TV on the couch. And as I started to go downstairs, my mother called out to me from the living room. That's a long day of work, isn't it? Not really. It was all right. How things go over there today? Everything went fine. I went downstairs, flopped onto the couch, turned on a college football game beside my father's very, very hot wood stove. It wasn't too much later that I dozed off to sleep. But you know, that was one of those days in my young life that I learned a very valuable lesson. I learned that sometimes that the work that was put before me to do wasn't meant to benefit me. The work I did that day didn't make my father's house warmer didn't come with any kind of financial benefit. It didn't magically produce another bag of Doritos. In fact, the work that I did that day took away from my plans. It took away from my time. It took away from the people that I wanted to be with. And that work didn't appear to have any value to me whatsoever. At least, that's what I thought. But as I lay there on the couch that night, I will tell you this. I had a greater satisfaction than if I would have hunted all day and played basketball that night. There was a greater sense of fulfillment, a certain contentment that I found. And I think that was because maybe for the first time in my life, and for maybe for that just one, that one day, I got to be like my dad. My dad provided me with warmth and a couch and a house. He worked. He paid the price to have that house, to build that house, to heat that house. I didn't. But for one day, I got to be like him. I got to help provide that to somebody else. That one day I took on the role of my father by providing something to someone who couldn't pay me back for it. By addressing the needs of others, those same needs that had already been fulfilled in my life. That's the, that's the epiphany that I had that night. Sometimes the work we do is solely for the benefit of others so that they can have the opportunity to obtain that which we have already been given. I already, I already had a warm house to go home to. The work I did gave Ronnie and May the opportunity to have the same thing that I had already been given. In life, some of our greatest efforts, some of our most valuable efforts, are so that others can have the opportunity to obtain that which we have already been given. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about the good news of the gospel. 
And if you've been with us for those two weeks, last week you've heard Trey tell us that a kingdom was coming with a new king stepping to the throne, and not a tyrant of a king, but a king that brought life. And last week, Trey focused our attention on a passage from the book of Ephesians, a passage that lays out the good news of the gospel and how God took action. We looked at those word pairings, and I think they're worth taking another look at this morning very briefly. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice something here, folks. What's he say? You have been raised up. That word ends in ed. What's that mean? Past tense. It already happened. He has seated us. That word, ed, past tense. It's already happened. We've already been given. We have been raised, we have been seated because God acted, and you are no longer dead. You've been been provided by your Father with life and a seat. That relationship that we have has been given to us. We did not earn it, we did not work for it. It was purchased by someone else, and it was given to us. But you know, it's remarkable how many people of faith have trouble grasping this concept Many people of faith hold on to the notion that their salvation, their relationship with God is based on equal parts grace and all the good stuff that I do. It's like they believe that we have to earn God's grace. That sounds stupid when you say it out loud, doesn't it? Earn God's grace. Because if you have to earn it, it ain't grace at all. That's a quid pro quo arrangement. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. That's not grace. Salvation is a free gift given to us without any payment due because the payment was already made. I mean, how many scriptures does God literally have to put into the Bible to, get in, to put in front of us to tell us that salvation is not by works, it's by faith, it's, by, it's a gift that's been given? How many times does he have to say it in the Bible before we believe it? Would it take five verses for you to believe that? Ten verses for you to believe it? How about 50 verses to believe? I'll tell you how many verses it is. It's 101 passages in the Bible that talk about not earning, but receiving the gift of salvation. 101. I know that's kind of in the back. I don't know if you can see that. I'll tell you what. I'll read them off to you. You write them down, right? Because it's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's Romans 2. I'll tell you what. I've got a better idea. Instead of me telling you those, I'm just going to read them all to you this morning, all right? We've got time. We're second service, right? I don't have to rush through anything second service. I can take my time with this. All right, let's go. Uh, let's start with number 12, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior was shown, he saved us because of his mercy. It wasn't because of good deeds we did to be right with him. He saved us through the washing that made us new people through the Holy Spirit. How about number 33 on the list, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We know that a person is made right with God not by following the law, but by trusting in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be made right with God because we trusted in Christ. It is not because we followed the law because no one can be made right with God by following the law. This verse makes it plain and simple that no one can be good enough, follow the law good enough to be saved. Starting to get it yet? No? No amens? Okay, let's keep reading then, right? 
Yeah, and I was like, amen, Jay, yeah, <laughs> grace only. <laughs> Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Let's look at, verse, or let's look at number 87 on the list, Romans chapter 5. Since we have been made right with God by our faith, we have peace with God. This happened through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. He brought us into the warmth of God's love that we now live in and enjoy. That's God's grace. Like it or not, you're too sinful, you're too wicked to earn your way into heaven. You cannot do it. And that's the very reason why God had to act on our behalf. God did this because he loves you very much, more than you can possibly comprehend. And that is why we are given salvation, and that is why it's good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know there are some of you sitting here this morning, some of you old-timers, you know, they're saying, hey, Jay, you can't talk like that. You can't tell people that God's just giving grace away, just giving salvation away for free. They're going to think you don't have to work as a Christian then. You, you can't tell them that they just get to have salvation. They have to work a little bit, right, Jay? Okay, maybe we do need to read 101 passages of Scripture. How about let's go right to number one. Let's go back to Ephesians, back where Trey had us last week. And let's start in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved but through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Hey, J.C., right there it is. It says you've got to work. There it is, J., right there in black and white. You've got to work to get salvation. No, that's not what it says. It says that God made us who and what we are so that we could do good works. He created us as his workmanship. God doesn't save us merely to protect us or save us from the punishment that we deserve. He also saves us because he makes beautiful things out of us. He makes us perfect and whole again. This word workmanship, translated from the Greek word poema, it's the idea that God has created a beautiful poem. The Jerusalem Bible actually translates that translates that word as a work of art. He made you beautiful. You're a beautiful work of, well, not you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing personal, Jacob, but you know, come on. He made us perfect. He made us beautiful so that we could do good works. God freely gave us salvation that we could focus not on trying to save ourselves. Listen, if I have to focus on saving myself, I don't really care about you. I care about me. I care about me saving me. God said, I'll take care of that. Don't worry. Don't focus on saving yourself. Focus your lives on doing good for others who are out in the cold. Too many times we get it backwards. We think that good works brings about salvation when the reality is good works flow from the realization that God has already given us a relationship with him. He's already seated us. He's already raised us. And all the sins that we've committed have been wiped away, and we no longer bear the shame, the guilt, or the punishment that those sins deserve. And the work that he has set before us is not the type of work that necessarily benefits us as far as salvation, but rather the work we do allows us to be a little more like our Father. It is the work that gives others the opportunity to obtain that which we've already been given. We already have been given a place in our Father's home. We already enjoy the warmth of his love and care. And now it is our work 
to give those who are still out in the cold an opportunity to freely receive that care and comfort. The work of the believer is to bring people in from out of the cold. Jesus very simply outlined this before he ascended to heaven. What did he say to his apostles? He said, go and make followers. Go out there and make followers. Baptize them. Teach them. And guess what? I'm with you always. My warmth, my care, my comfort is always with you while you're out there doing my work. When we look through the Gospels, you ever notice how Jesus describes his followers? They're always described as people who are going out into the field to harvest wheat, going into the vineyard to harvest grapes, going out into the pastures to find sheep that were lost, taking the message of the gospel out there to bring back in the valuable crop, to bring back in the sheep. Jesus says our work is out there, and our work is to benefit others. Jesus gives us the opportunity to imitate our Father, by giving freely as we've been freely given. In Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 9, he says when he saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them. Why? Because they were hurting. They were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said to his followers, there are many people to harvest, but only a few workers to help harvest them. Pray to the Lord who owns the harvest that he will send more workers to gather his harvest. Our work is not to save ourselves. God's already done that. Our work is to benefit the people of the harvest. If you're sitting here this morning and you already have a couch in your father's warm house, if you've already accepted Jesus as both your Lord and your Savior, if you've confessed him both as King and Christ, if you've been baptized into his name, then you've already been given and already accepted the good news of the gospel's offer. But then I have to ask you something. As someone who's been made alive in Christ, as someone who's been made perfect, as someone who is a beautiful work of art, I have to ask you if you're content with only enjoying what you've been given. Are you willing just to sit back and enjoy what you've been freely given? Is it enough for you just to sit inside your father's house in his warmth and his care, enjoying what you've been given? Or are you willing to take that same gospel, to those who are still out in the cold? Are you willing to take on the work that your father has laid before you? Are you willing to be the image of your father and help others find their way back to him? Yeah, it's going to take some sacrifice. It will. You'll have to give up hunting and basketball and whatever that is for you. You might have to give some of that up sometime. But what can you do? Maybe, you know, maybe, this is, maybe this is one of those situations where we have to use those iconic words, ask not what my God can do for me, but what I can do for those who are out in the cold. What work can I undertake that will give others the opportunity to obtain that which I have already been given? Jesus' sacrifice was given in love so that the Father could freely give salvation. And what is our response to that love? In 1 John chapter 3, it says, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us, so we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters, my children. We should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. This is where it starts, not with talk, 
but with actions. What do we have painted out on the wall out there? Learn here, live there, love everywhere. Love everywhere by your actions and by truly caring. Out there, out there where the gospel is needed. What are you willing to do to bring people out from the cold into the warmth of their father's house so that they can have the opportunity to obtain which you have already been given? And if you're here this morning and you haven't made a decision yet about Jesus and his offer of the gospel, I'd ask you to consider to come in out of the cold. Come into your Father's house. Jesus can offer you the good news of grace, forgiveness, peace, freedom, and warmth. Let's all stand.